The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Today is Monday, December 4th. My name is Chris Crawford. I'm joined by my good friend, Drew Silva. And we are going to talk about some hitters who did not have a whole heck of a lot of fun in 2023 and whether or not they have a chance to bounce back in 2024. But before that, we're going to talk about some headlines. And it starts with something that broke late Saturday. And I have to admit, Drew, I'm a little biased here because of the team that it happened to, the Seattle Mariners, trade Jared Kelnick, Evan White, and Marco Gonzalez to the Atlanta Braves for uh, Jackson Kowar and a 9.12 career ERA and right-handed pitching prospect Cole Phillips. Now, look, Kelnick has flustered over this time. Okay, I'm just, I'm just going to let you go on this one. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> you know what? That, that's totally fine. That we, I can just freeform Jazz here. No. Uh, certainly frustrated, but this is obviously a salary dump because of the fact that Marco Gonzalez, and it's already been reported that Marco Gonzalez will be traded to another team by multiple outlets, so his time with Atlanta will be short and probably not all that sweet. And Evan White has been awful and was signed to a contract before this, his uh, MLB time could even begin and has really struggled both in the minors and at the major league level since that contract is signed, and he struggled also to stay healthy dealt with some hip issues, is expected to be ready for the start of the season. Very hard to imagine that he's a contributor for Atlanta. So let's just be honest. This is a massive salary dump for the Seattle Mariners. But it's an interesting development for Kelnick because he's joining a team that's been pretty darn good with player development lately. All due respect to Seattle, much better than Atlanta. And he has shown some flashes of brilliance. It looked like that was going to be a breakout season for Kelnick last year. Unfortunately, uh, we find out that kicking a water cooler is a bad idea. A and bad we idea. also <laughs> we also saw that there's still some work to do here, but just a 24-year-old. But I have to say, Drew, I think you have to say for at least 2024, Jerry Kelnick's stock goes up with this move. I, I would agree wholeheartedly. And I was kind of surprised by this. Maybe I hold Kelnick in higher regard than the Mariners clearly did, or like the baseball industry in general, I, f I figured if, if you were going to include him in a trade, you know, it could be more of a meaningful trade, oh, yeah. like with like getting like some, some real major league ready talent in return. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like maybe I fall into a trap where I'm like, Oh, now he's in Atlanta's system and they're so good at sure. player development. Of, of course, he's going to suddenly fully blossom. Cause there are some, yeah, he's been a letdown. I mean, this was yeah. one of the top prospects in baseball. Um, and, but I agree with you. I mean, last, last year looked like it was going to be this full on breakout before he decided to, to get into a fight with an, an inanimate object, um, <laughs> which is never a good idea. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all for just seeing what he can do with a change of scenery. Um, and in that player development system, um, that, there's there's power and speed there. And if he can tap into it and, and Atlanta can get the most out of him, I think he could be, you know, like this post-type prospect that blossoms into a legitimate major league outfielder. I guess initially he's probably going to platoon a lot. Um, so you worry about that from a fantasy perspective. I, I think they were already talking about 
Uh, Vaughn Grissom might yes. might platoon with him in left field while also playing some, you know, being a backup all across the infield and in kind of a super utility role. So that worries me. Like maybe it's a competition at some point between Grissom and Kelnick, and you know they're probably not done adding pieces too. Um, so I worry a little bit about the role and the playing time, but the talent and the the landing spot couldn't have been better if you're like a Kelnick dynasty owner. Yeah, I think this is certainly stuck up in both of those regards because of the fact, look, it's, it's probably a lazy narrative, but Atlanta's done a really good job with these type of profiles. Their own players and players too, letter reclamation projects who have done a very nice job. And I wouldn't go so far as calling Kelnick a reclamation project, but he's not that far away from it. Like just based on the yeah. fact of how awful he was in 2021 and 2022. And for a lot of 2023 as well, like he got off to such a good start. The power completely evaporated in the second half, even after he got healthy and was back on the field. That's concerning. You know, this is a guy who has to, because he doesn't have that 70 to 80 grade hit tool that he once had. Like that is, probably Dunzo and Atlanta certainly isn't going to all of a sudden say well let's take you back to a the prospect version of you and get that flat swing going no that is probably not going to happen I have seen some talk that Jared Kelnick could be a piece that is used in a move for a big arm uh it would be interesting to see if he went hey the White Sox they're not uh they they, they make total sense as a matchup in a Dylan C steal now obviously Kelnick's probably not the headline of a Dylan C still at this point, after what we just saw with the salary dump being a move that that was made, but certainly something I think Chicago could be interested in if they were going to make that type of move. I will say, was, go yeah. ahead. Well, I was, I, I wasn't on X or Twitter on Saturday night. because I was <laughs> decorating my Christmas tree and I hate that place. Um, <laughs> what was like your raw emotion? You being our resident Mariners well, fan, like, what was your initial reaction to to it? You know, to be confusion a little bit, a uh, confusion and anger. To be honest with you, too, because look, Jerry Depoto immediately came out with a statement and he used the word industrious. He said they were going to be oh, yeah. industrious with this trade, which you know it's better than fifty four percent, but still a little bit of a weird one to hear. And look, it's it's very obvious now that they're going to spend some money. Because they now have uh, a buddy of mine did the math without arbitration stuff, so it's a little misleading, a $105 million payroll. You have to think that the Seattle Mariners are going to spend some money. It's also pathetic that they have to do a move like this in order to spend this money. Now, look, am I furious that Marco Gonzalez is being paid by the Seattle Mariners anymore? No, not really. I really yeah. like Marco Gonzalez. He was a very steady Mariner for a very long time. And I'm not unhappy that Evan White isn't here either. You shouldn't have had to attach a player as talented and as successful as Jared yeah. Kelnick to get rid of these contracts and act like a poverty franchise. That's just not acceptable to me. And they have acted like a poverty franchise since 2020. And without going on too long of a spiel, look, the Mariners are cash poor compared to other major league teams. John Stanton doesn't have uh, that same kind of cash that some other guys have. And, they don't have those minority owners either that give you that kind of help for that type of stuff. Seattle just doesn't have that. So I get it. And for those of you not watching on Facebook, I just did the quotation marks. But it's still pathetic. I think it's still just really sad that Seattle thinks they have to do this. And even if they go out and sign Otani or trade for Juan Soto, that doesn't make this a good move. You still got Cole Phillips has not thrown a professional pitch in 20 months of being in an organization. There's clearly some stuff going on there. Would have been a first-round pick? Great. A.J. Smith, or A.J. Smith Schaffer. I wish they got A.J. Smith Schaffer. Jackson Coar. Yeah. He's missed bats. He has 75 strikeouts and 74 career innings. A 9.12 career ERA, man. And I get it, too. Seattle has done a really good job with profiles like Coar. In relief, you know, that stuff is intriguing as a former first-round pick but this is not nearly enough value for Kelnick. And the fact that you had to sell this dude, I think is kind of pathetic. I should know this already, but because I cover baseball, but are the Mariners badly affected by the RSN collapse? Yes. yes. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, they are. They Not yet, but it's coming. 
Right. And, and, you know, I I don't want to give them a pass. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. But, I know. But, but it's, it's no a talking point. Right. And... Hey, I, if I had a, a cash flow that was there that all of a sudden wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. That, that would that would be something. And I think it's more of a be prepared thing than a because they're not in the Bally's thing. But the Fox Sports stuff or uh, whatever. Root? They call, is Root, that what yeah. Root yeah. is uh, is going to be affected by this as well. But um yeah, I was not a fan of this trade on my uh, YouTube channel. I may have uh, said a word that I'm not supposed to say. Um, not Nothing bad, but just, you know, that word that starts with F and ends with CK that you're not supposed to say. So apparently. now you have like parental guidance on your YouTube channel? You know what? For the very first time, I had to hit explicit language on my advertising <laughs> stuff. That, that might like, have drawn, oh. drawn in more listeners, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it, it, honestly, it might have done it. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm just a big showman and I actually love this trade. Uh, speaking of getting paid, Drew, Jackson Cheerio, before, and it's funny, we're talking about Evan White, Jackson Cheerio is getting the yeah. Evan White treatment. Let's never compare those two ever again because the situations are not similar. But... They are guys who are going to get massive contracts before ever playing a baseball game. Eight years, $82 million, a chance for that to be worth a heck of a lot more money than that. Cheerio ranked the second best prospect in baseball, a legitimate five-tool talent, somebody that I ranked as the top fantasy prospect in baseball coming into the 2023 season. I drop him probably to second now just because Jackson Holiday has a chance to be super special. And the fact that he plays shortstop compared to the outfield, it's a little bit different. But that's that's compliment to Holiday rather than insult to Cheerio. And this guy really came on strong as the season came along. But this will still be a guy who is a 20-year-old for most of the season that's playing Major League Baseball, Drew. How excited are you about, well, first of all, what do you think of the contract? And second of all, how excited or nervous are you about him for 2024? It's hard to compare these pre-debut kind of contract extensions. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's so much context that goes into it. And oftentimes it's kind of what a player is willing to accept and what his agent are willing to accept because there's sure. not much structure to, to it. But in general, and we just d- did talk about Evan White and what is it, John Singleton had one that didn't work out. But in general, like these pre-debut, even pre-arbitration extensions, I always, I want my team to try to do those with their yes. best young players. Because mm-hmm. they I, I think there's almost like an 80 plus percent success rate. And especially if you know the guy's personality, you know that this doesn't mean he's going to stop working. Um, you, you know, they stop developing into what you think he can be. Even if he winds up being kind of, mediocre it's still going to wind up being like a team-friendly contract when you sign it when he signed this um i i you know a lot better about prospects than i do i i look at like the minor league numbers and they're good i mean there's counting stats in there 22 homers 44 steals and 128 games last year between double a and triple a but only an 805 ops the obp was 338 it's worth keeping in mind that he was playing between double a and triple a as a 19 year old like that's pretty rare it seems to me like he might have some more work to do um, but the brewers know better than i do and this contract likely ensures that he's going to be on the opening day roster or it, it certainly increases his chances because you're not worrying about service time anymore and man a, a player with that kind of power and speed um and injecting new life into that Brewers team, possibly their opening day starting center fielder and their opening or their starting center fielder for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what he can do as, as like possibly a, a five category fantasy outfielder for, for, you know, the long term. Um, I, I, it jumps out to me that, that he has that kind of power and speed at such a young age and to be playing at the way he rose through the Brewers minor league system. Um, they love him. Any kind of prospect evaluator you're going to talk to is is in love with this guy with all the tools that he has. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it from a, a real life and fantasy standpoint. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, there are going to be struggles because of his age and because of his the fact that he has all of 21 plate appearances above the double A level. You know, that's that's scary. That's going to be something that you just don't know what the adjustment is for. And look, even guys like Julio Rodriguez had a little bit of a struggle when he first came in as well. Some of that had to do with the fact that uh, umpires couldn't help calling strikes 15 feet out of the strike zone against Julio Rodriguez. But there's no doubt about it that there is usually an adjustment period for young hitters. 
but every tool is here for him to be a fantasy superstar for a long time. He can hit for average. His approach isn't great, but it's getting better. Um, he certainly has power. He definitely has the speed. And that's one thing the real-life value of Jackson Churio being a very good outfielder is going to help here. I'm just really curious to see how they're going to do this because there does seem to be kind of like a glut of outfielders in Milwaukee now. Yeah, what is, is Garrett Mitchell going to get traded? Like, a, you know. That, that's really going to be really interesting. Or Joey Weimer. Maybe, maybe yeah. And, then, yeah. Yep. And, and, hey, maybe it's Christian Yelich. Maybe it is after uh, – this signing, the Milwaukee Brewers will go, we're cash-strapped, man. We just paid $82 million to somebody who's never played Major League Baseball. We got to trade Christian Yelich. I mean, look, th- there's no denying, too, by the way, that this is a nice uh, boon for Jackson Churio because he was going to be paid a pittance of that over his time there. But you could be talking about turning down hundreds of millions of dollars by signing this deal. There, there's no yep. denying that. I mean even if the club options being super, super friendly, probably for Churio, there's still a very good chance that Churio is turning down an awful lot of money. This is better than like the Ozzy Albies situation or even the Ronald Acuna situation, yeah. I think, in part because those guys had some success. But it's it's worth pointing out, I think, that there is a chance that Jackson Churio could look back on this is he somebody you're drafting? Like, I think we got to see what's going on in spring training. I know. Here, but, yeah, like, right. if you drafted tomorrow, is Jackson Churio somebody you late-round stash? Yeah. I don't think he's going to be a late-round stash. Oh, we'll see what the, bro- what the buzz gr- grows to. If he's, like, lighting up the Cactus League, I-, I see he's killing it in the Venezuelan Winter League um, at the moment, or I think that just wrapped up. Um but I, I, I could see this growing to the point where you see him go like top 100 in some drafts. Like p- people are going to overreact. We'll see where there's a lot of group think in fantasy baseball. And, and I'm guilty of it at, at times as we push in toward like mid-March. Um, you know, a lot of people have the same ideas about the same guys. It's it's where you get like a sleeper turns into not suddenly a sleeper anymore. He's just a, a popular top 100 pick. Um, I, I think church, people are going to fall in love with Churio. I think the average draft position, if you're doing an early draft, would be a wide range. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. It's like NL only. I think he's going to go. Obviously, he's going higher because you're taking away half the league. But it also seems like those type of prospects get a major boost for that type of thing as well, typically. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this real quick. Jackson Churio or Junior Caminero for 2024? Hmm. I think Caminario, I mean, just like a little bit more experience. Sure. Um, and I, I mean, this, that hit tool is going to be, it, yeah. it's got to play in the majors. I, there, we, we, I think Jackson Churio profiles as like a future superstar, but we got to see some of it first. And there's a chance he doesn't have a good cactus league and he still winds up opening the year in the minors like that's not just because they remove the service time concerns it doesn't mean that they they feel like he's absolutely ready right now to be on the opening day roster so um we'll see how it plays out i think caminero will make the raise opening day roster i'm I'm pretty certain of that yeah and especially if they trade randy rosarena like there's there's talk of that yeah there's still a half a podcast of this to go let's see what the uh rays do before i know yeah it's it's been kind of a a a light winter meetings day so far and you know the winter meetings aren't what they used to be you and i've been doing this for a long time like yes seven eight years ago this used to be one of the busiest weeks of the baseball calendar it it was like comparable to the trade deadline where there were big things happening every day now I, i I would say it's just because teams and agents and players have grown so comfortable doing virtual meetings. Um, There's really no even reason to hold the winter meeting. It's more of a job fair and like an annual conference than it is a place where like things get done these days. Um, I'm sure there will be some big news maybe tonight. Uh, Tuesday, I could see being a big day, and then you get into the Rule Five draft, and everyone just kind of leaves. But um, I, a Juan Soto trade—it sounds like there's a lot of buzz toward that possibly getting done sometime this week. Maybe Shohei Otani starts whittling down his his teams, and then Yamamoto after him. But I wouldn't be surprised if that waits a little bit further into December. Dylan Cease, there's a lot of buzz right now that he could be traded at at some point in the next few days. Tyler Glasnow uh, after him, Shane yes. Bieber maybe. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things could happen. Dominoes could start to fall, but yeah, pretty light Monday so far down there in Nashville. 
I'm so glad you brought up uh, job fair. <laughs> I could have such a long tangent about how many people do not need to be at the winter meetings who are at the winter meetings. Like I look yeah. at some of the people who are there and I'm like, congratulations on absolutely getting the bag from your whoever is paying you and getting a vacation in Nashville, man, because you don't yeah. have any reason to be there. Not one single thing that you will write about. You couldn't write about from your basement or from your room, man. I'm sorry to make the basement joke, but you know no, what I as, mean. As, as you and I know well, man, this industry there. is tough. If you find some company or even you pay your own way to get down there, I, I salute you. You're trying. It's it's a tough world out there. There were even more like layoffs today. I'm going to go down a, a dark, deep hole if yeah. we if we really get into this. Shout out to our buddy Hannah Kaiser and Zach yeah. Kaiser, one of my favorite writers as well. This is just an absolute brutal industry. Uh, speaking of brutal, we're going to talk about some hitters that were not so good in 2023. But first, we're going to take a very quick commercial break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right. So last couple of weeks, we've been going over the hitters that kind of broke out and uh, and the pitchers who as well. And probably Ryan and I will do the pitchers. Not fair to you to take the hitters and Ryan has to take the pitchers, man. This is kind of rude of you, Drew, to be honest with you. But I will note this, as much as I struggled to find breakout pitchers last week, it was a little bit hard to find hitters who didn't live up to the hype. For the most part, guys lived up to what there were. Now, there were certainly flashes for a lot of hitters that um, weren't so hot, like Vladimir Guerrero was awful for a long time. Manny Machado wasn't very good for a long time. But for the most part, Guys lived up to what they were supposed to do. Did you find that as well? Yeah, and, and if they didn't, it was because of injuries. 
you know, right. like that. And we're, we're trying to kind of steer away. I mean, some of these guys we're going to talk about had some durability issues, but um, yeah. And I mean, that's because we're so good at our jobs and the rankings by the end, by fan, prime <laughs> fantasy draft season were where they should have been. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just start off with mine. Uh, my first one, I, we just did three a piece because it is, yeah, it was a little bit hard to, to dig these up compared to the breakout guys. Um, Tim Anderson, first of all, he was a top 100 pick for several years running, even like top 50 at times. Mm-hmm. And he usually rewarded that investment, like between 2018, 2021, a combined 296 batting average and OPS close to 100, averaged 24 homers and 24 steals for every 162 games played in that four-year stretch. I'm a really productive fantasy shortstop, just below the the top tier of five-category talents at the position, but a five-category guy in his own right. And then there were some injuries in 2022, but the numbers were still good when healthy. And then comes 2023, and it all suddenly falls off a cliff in what was Anderson's age 29-30 season, to the point where the White Sox declined what would have looked like a team-friendly option for him. Uh, $14 million in 2024, they, they just cut him loose. So he's a free agent now, and there hasn't been a lot of buzz about him in free agency. I, I think he'll wind up doing okay in a market that's pretty light on position player talent. Um, or maybe he would want to accept like a one-year prove-it type of contract and test the market again next winter. Either way, we can sort of review all of that where, wherever he lands. But it does seem like the White Sox have fully moved on now. They acquired Nicky Lopez and signed Paul DeYoung to kind of be stop gaps at shortstop before top prospect Colson Montgomery arrives in the majors at some point in 2024. Anderson was always a bit of a flawed player, even through mm-hmm. his best seasons. It's It's felt like... We've been waiting for the the shoe to drop with him, if that's the correct idiom. Um, But he was always punching above his own weight with like batting average. His his BABIP was always super high. A lot of luck in general when you look at the advanced stats over the course of his career. I can't buy that Tim Anderson is just flat out a terrible player now, though. Like the numbers last year were terrible. Uh, The 245 average, 286 on base percentage, one homer. 13 steals and 524 plate appearances. Like that is not a usable fantasy shortstop. It's not a usable fantasy catcher. Um, but he got off to a hot start initially. And, and yeah. if you remember this, it was like a, a botched rundown in April where he strained his right knee. Um, he never seemed right after that. And so even though he didn't actually spend a ton of time on the injured list, I wonder if that was a lingering thing for him um, affected his, his, ability defensively offensively because all of the readings were were pretty rough for tim anderson let's see what a change of scenery looks like for him he has said that he's open to playing second base if needed plenty of teams could use help at second and a guy who can also pitch in at shortstop or or just sign him to be their primary shortstop do i think he's ever going to bat 335 again no that was probably a career outlier that that, Mm -hmm. when he did that in 2020 was the shortened covid season either way he he was above 300 for a lot of years Mm -hmm. um and i don't think that's gonna be what he is moving forward there's a bit of pop and speed uh still left in the tank turned 30 years old in late june in the right landing spot with better health he can return to fantasy relevance just definitely i would say definitely not top 100 type of fantasy relevance and hey like the draft day cost in fantasy next spring is going to be minimal he might go undrafted in a lot of leagues shallower even some deeper leagues i think that's probably right all things considered um none of this was very like groundbreaking analysis i guess i'd like to summarize i I'm skeptical skeptical about what kind of player he's going to be pushing forward. Better health, new team, maybe there's something there, but Anderson won't be a target for me by any stretch because I don't know that you can count on the homers rebounding or the speed for that matter. He was never a huge power threat anyway, and the speed has dropped off. And, and maybe it's partially to blame on that knee injury, but he's not getting any younger. Exciting player, high-energy player, um, part of some fun runs there on the south side of Chicago. But um, I, this is one of the players that I'm going to talk about that I'm, I'm actually thinking we're seeing – you know, the the, 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 the significant drop-off to where he should not even really be on fantasy radars. So you just talked about Tim Anderson for about 13 straight minutes. And Sorry. the only thing that I came away with is – 
did you realize you made a really good punching joke about Tim Anderson in the middle of it? Or was that an accident? What did I say? You said something about like a punching chance or something along those lines. Oh, like, um, punching above that. his weight. Yeah. Punching Tuck- above his weight. Yeah, man. <laughs> for that's, the, the Babbitt. Because that, let's be honest, that's the only thing I'm going to really remember about Tim Anderson's season is the uh, the, yeah. the all-out war that should have been sold on pay-per-view where Jose Ramirez, let's be honest, got the very best of Tim Anderson. I think he could bounce back a little bit. Like, uh, Drew, you and I have been doing podcasts together for a long time, and it seems like we've talked an awful lot about how we were waiting for the demise. Not like Yes, joyously, but we've just been waiting for it. Like, yeah. and this is what happens with that skill set. It depreciates poorly, and it doesn't usually have a slow downgrade. It often is something that is. Do you remember Michael Bourne? <laughs> that type of skill set sure. yep. doesn't age particularly well. I will say this: the fact that he's going to have second base eligibility makes him a lot more intriguing. I think because of the fact that the second base position is just not my favorite going into the year. Yeah, I think it's a little more justifiable. Like, as he's going to get that a second base eligibility because I cannot imagine he's a starting shortstop for anyone. Maybe he's a starting shortstop for a really crappy team, though. Now that I think about it, like if somebody's looking for the Angels, sure, sign him to a one-year deal and hope he plays well and you can deal him at the deadline. Or if he likes to fit, maybe you sign him to a two or three-year deal afterwards because it's not like Tim Anderson's like thirty-seven or something like that. He's just an old version of whatever the heck Tim Anderson's age is. It's just, it's just the nature of the business. Um, but I'll be really curious to see about that landing spot. Uh, I'm also curious about the landing spot of T Oscar Hernandez, who in my humble estimation was a pretty big fantasy disappointment in the year of 2023. He finished the year with just really mediocre numbers at 258 average 305 on base percentage, 435 slugging percentage. I did uh, drive in 93 runs, which was nice, and 26 homers, which isn't terrible. But I think we were expecting a little bit more from T. Oscar Hernandez. And to be fair, T. Oscar Hernandez performed better than those numbers suggest. His expected slugging percentage was 476. His average exit velocity was in the 81st percentile, which is actually a little bit down. But he hit the ball above 90 miles per hour. Uh, 81% of the time, uh, excuse me, that's what his average exit velocity ranks at. Uh, His barrel percentage was 13.8 and hard hit percentage of 49.4, which is excellent, uh, is very strong. You also see the reasons why Teoscar Hernandez isn't necessarily going to hit for a high average ever because dude just swings at bad pitches and he doesn't make contact very often. He swung and missed 35.8 percent of the time that is awful and he's not a guy who like makes up for it with a lot of walks he only walked in 5.6 percent of his plate appearances now all those numbers are interesting drew and yeah i know that there's a small sample size here a little bit of 325 at bats but look at how much better this guy was on the road compared to home in the friendly confines of t-mobile park he hit 217 263 380 with 12 homers and uh, 107 strikeouts and 300 at bats on the road, 295, 344, 486 with 14 homers. Now he still struck out 104 times, stole five bases. I don't think that really tells you much, but it's crazy how much better he was away from Safeco. That's what I'm always going to call it. Do not correct me. And look, there have been a lot of hitters who have struggled in Safeco slash T-Mobile slash whatever we want to call it. There, There's no doubt that this can be a bit of an intimidating park because you're going to get Justin smoked, which is what I call flying out to the warning track. And Eugenio yep. Suarez experienced it last year. Uh, there are lots of hitters that have just not been able to have the success there. So look, Teoscar Hernandez, a flawed hitter for sure. But I think there was more good than bad from him. And I think that he could actually be somebody who's vastly underdrafted. I want to see where he lands, of course. The Mariners decided not to give him the qualifying offer. So he's free to sign with anybody. It's uh, You're now free to move about the country for T. Oscar Hernandez. But I think that assuming he doesn't land in like one of those cavernous home parks, I think he's a really got a really, really good chance to bounce back to the level that he was in 2023 or excuse me, 2022. Yeah. I mean, Teoscar's kind of the 
the classic like all or nothing do or die swing for the fences type slugger and those types have been pretty devalued um in like this modern era of baseball that we're in right now and the previous era is like you know the early 2000s into the 90s the, those were those kind of sluggers were all the rage sure. i agree with you it's all going to depend on landing spot he's still got immense raw power um if he lands somewhere right um, the diamondbacks are apparently considering like grabbing like a dedicated designated hitter right um putting him in the dh role also ability to play some corner outfield though they're pretty set on outfielders which i'll talk about in a bit I, i i could be totally into him if he if he lands with a good team in a good home park because you know there could be 30 homer power 100 rbi kind of production on the way fair all right, my second guy is, and I'll, I'll make this a little quicker than the, the Tim Anderson rant, um, <laughs> Blue Jays c- catcher Alejandro Kirk. Um, and there was some cloudiness to Kirk's projections for 2023 and that you know, he was having a mix in between catcher and DH. Like th- this is what the viewpoint was in the spring. You know, h- how is he going to definitely land regular playing time, sharing the catching duties with Danny Jansen, the, the DH role? with Brandon Belt. Um, but Kirk wound up playing a lot, uh, largely due to Jansen battling injuries for chunks of the year. 99 games at catcher for Kirk, 17 games at designated hitter. Uh, but it didn't yield anything useful at all, really. 250 average, 692 OPS, only eight home runs across his 123 total games played. Kirk looked like a bright young slugger just a few years ago, or even last year. He won the Silver Slugger Award at catcher in 2022, was was named to the American League All-Star team. But that trajectory hit a sudden plateau this past year. 14th percentile in batting run value at baseball savant. 19th percentile in barrel percentage, also 19th percentile in average exit velocity. Like, where did the power go? Um, Some encouraging elements there, you know, he rarely strikes out. 99th percentile whiff percentage, 98th percentile strikeout percentage. The plate approach is excellent. Um, and he's a better defensive catcher than he looks like, you know. Um, sure. And if you just look at what he did in terms of barrel rate and slugging in 2022, there's a lot of bright red on that page over at oh, Baseball yeah. Savant. If you if you pulled up 2022 and compare it to 2023, it seems like something catastrophic must have happened to him. Um, so maybe you like squint a bit and combine the two, you know, the plate discipline from 2023 or, or really throughout his career, plus the way he connected with baseballs in 2022. Hopefully that yields you know like kind of a full-on breakout this coming year or just something better than than what he did this past year he's only 25 just turned 25 on november 6th um either at catcher or dh again in a fairly everyday role with eligibility at baseball's shallowest position i'm i'm willing to take a chance on alejandro kirk as, as my main fantasy catcher or you know I'll, I'll be open to that happening at some point as we push into the 2024 season i don't, I don't know if how excited i would be about it on draft day but i think he can get back there um got to kind of see it first but i believe there are better things to come for him given the age and the past offensive profile he's still there or yeah jansen's still there with the blue jays so he's still kind of having to to contend for playing time at catcher but belt is not we'll see if they acquire a dedicated dh this winter oh t oscar back in toronto Uh, but kirk should play often though and you know just as much or or even more than some regular catchers he's got to improve from where he was in 2023 but i think there's evidence suggesting that you know he can turn back the clock at 25 years old and you know get that trajectory back on track yeah absolutely i will say this that's a we talked about Tim Anderson's skill set being one that ages poorly. I think Alejandro Kirk's, unfortunately, his body type is one that ages poorly. Yep. So that is something that, you know, and again, hypocritical for me, uh, Alejandro Kirk <laughs> is in much better shape than either of us are, to be honest, but especially yes. me. Um, one of the things that's intriguing to me about is you mentioned that, yeah, Danny Jansen's going to be back. I'm not 100% sure Alejandro Kirk is going to be back. I think he makes sense for a team like they have been mentioned in a lot of trades. Um, yeah. I wonder if he'd be somebody that the San Diego Padres would be interested in in a trade for um, a certain outfielder by the name of Jake Cronenworth. No, I'm just kidding. Juan Soto, obviously, being the uh, Jake Cronenworth isn't even an outfielder. Come on, Chris, do better. Um, he's but, probably played some outfield. He's probably played some outfield for sure. Uh, but I do wonder if he's somebody that could be attractive to other franchises just because of the fact that, hey, 
I think it's pretty obvious to me that Danny Jansen is the best catcher on the Toronto Blue Jays. All due respect to Alejandro Kirk, but that's more intriguing because I think if he is moved, you could be talking about more playing time and more chances. Just the thing with him is going to be, and it's true for Tim Anderson as well. They're very different in a lot of ways, but they're similar in this way. Babip luck is going to matter an awful lot for both of them. The, the Whether or not those hits are going to fall for them is going to be something that I think really matters. Um, I like him as a bounce back as well. Probably prefer him as my catcher too, but I honestly just never prefer to play in another two-catcher league ever again in my yes. life. Uh, Josh Bell. So Cleveland, for the first time since uh, 1642, decided to spend some money in the offseason. And Josh Bell, to be honest, did not deliver on those goods. In his time with Cleveland, he hit 233, 318, 383. That is a 701 OPS from their first baseman. 11 homers, did drive in 48 runs, but really was not an effective option for most of the year. And ends up getting, let's just be honest here, salary dumped to the Miami Marlins. But once he joins the Miami Marlins, things go pretty well for him. He hit 270, 338, 480. That's an 818 OPS. That's not elite. But that's certainly a lot better than what they were getting. And he hits 11 home runs in 53 games. So in a basically half of the time that he was playing, he showed much more power. And I got to be honest, I was extremely encouraged by what I saw from Bell, not only in the second half of the 2023 season, but that first half of the 2022 season was really impressive for Josh Bell as well. He's struggled to put it together for a full season. Like his after yeah. he was traded to San Diego, he was awful for San Diego. And it's one of the reasons why I think they had absolutely no desire to bring him back. But, you know, and it's lazy to just look at the Savant page, but he's above average in pretty much everything. Expected weighted on base average, expected batting average, expected slugging percentage, average exit velocity, barrel, hard hit percentage. All of those are at least in the 60th percentile and up to the 70th percentile draws a good number of walks. He's always had a strong approach at the plate. It's hard to be believe, by the way, that Josh Bell is already 31 years old. I can still remember him as one of the best prospects for his draft and Pittsburgh giving him an absolutely massive bonus to uh, keep him from attending the University of Texas. You know, first base, you could probably do a little bit better, but I think he's going to fall in draft boards just based on the fact that he was so terrible when he was with Cleveland. But if you do take a deeper look and you take a look at the numbers with Miami, I do think that there's still value here for Josh Bell. And I kind of like the Miami lineup. I think that there are going to be chances for him to drive in more runs, um, especially Jake Berger, who I am just yeah. a huge fan of. I think Jake Berger is one of the most underrated players going into the 2024 season based on what he did with both the White Sox and with Miami. That'll be a fascinating trade to evaluate because uh, Jake Eater also has a chance to be a really good starting pitcher as well. So that is a tangent that I promised I wasn't going to go on too often this time. But yeah, Josh Bell, I think, is a very nice bounce back candidate, but there's no denying there's some risk that comes with the reward as well. Yeah, I've written a lot of Josh Bell outlooks over the years, and I think I've used the line of a tale of two seasons, like, <laughs> like every year with him. Yeah, um, and you just hope you catch him at the right time. He certainly got the the power to to be a, a productive fantasy player, and and yeah, I mean he wasn't really bad over for his career. I mean he's got an 800 career OPS. Yeah. It's just it comes in spurts. Oh, yeah. You know, like he'll have he'll have a good second half that made up for a bad second half or vice versa. And it's it's hard to track. Baseball's hard. Yeah. Um my third and final is going to be Diamondbacks outfielder Jake McCarthy. McCarthy had a lot of hype last spring. It was one of those popular sleepers that I talked about at the top of the show that is no longer a sleeper at all come draft day because he just winds up going early in every draft. And you could see the path to where he you know, should have delivered. He had a, a 769 OPS with eight homers and 23 steals over 99 major league games for the Diamondbacks in 2022. He finished fourth and for NL Rookie of the Year. But he got off to a rough start with Arizona in 2023, was ultimately demoted back to AAA Reno in May, and then demoted back to Reno again in August. Kind of a mess of a season for McCarthy all around. Um, he did steal 26 bases and wound up 
being pretty limited major league action. And that speed does make him, you know, it's, it's bankable at least moving forward, but you have to kind of wonder about the role with him. Does he continue to sit against lefties? He, he sat against like every lefty when he was up in the majors after that, pretty rough first month um is there going to be more power at some point only two homers and 312 plate appearances this past season overall a 644 ops steals are not hard to find these days especially among outfielders now i mean he's only 26 years old his triple a numbers are pretty bonkers like a career 327 average 960 ops in 590 plate appearances with reno 23 homers 38 steals in 131 games at the triple a level it's it's the stuff you want to see for you know long-term fantasy prognostication that that a player has the ability to rack up that level of counting stats i feel like mccarthy's going to be a good player eventually um and we love our post type players in this oh, industry yeah. you know I, I meant to look up his adp right now on nfbc and i know it's early to do that even in early december but my because remember he was climbing into like the top 150 top oh, sure. 120 you know in, in like fantasy prime fantasy drafts speeds in last spring he's going in the 400s interesting right now so, wow. yeah I'll take a chance at that price if, if it if it stays in that that range. It's so low risk, and you know it's not like his lefty righty splits are as drastic as the way Diamondbacks eventually platooned him. He can hit lefties like, well, I'll just say that at the MLB level so far, he's hit lefties and righties about the same, which is to say, not great on the whole. Um, but 98th percentile sprint speed, he's shown really good hit tools in the minors. This mm -hmm. could be a post type kind of dude all day. Um, Alec Thomas is in a similar vein, another youngish diamondbacks outfielder who really disappointed overall during the 2023 regular season, but made some noise in the playoffs to help Arizona make that run to the world series. And Alec Thomas has an ADP right now of 317. Um, so you see how this works. It's, it's a very, what have you done for me lately? world christopher unless you're florida state yeah oh man we could go on a long uh long tangent about that by the way i could go on a long tangent about why washington's playing in the sugar bowl instead of the rose bowl as well but let's not say let's save that for uh the next week and probably not the next week either uh by the way uh the reason why i'm not taking jake mccarthy in that 400 range is because I'll never play in a league where I have to draft that late. Holy crap. What are you people doing with your lives? I love fantasy baseball. Why are you drafting so many players in November? Come on, guys. We make money off the hardcore fantasy baseball managers. Yeah. Don't put them down. Thanks so cool. much, you absolute losers. Um, that, here's one thing I'm actually concerned about with Jake McCarthy and Alec Thomas. I think Dominic Fletcher's better than both. And I think Dominic Fletcher might be given the chance to earn more consistent playing time. Now there's some openings there. Lord Scoriel's very unlikely to come back. Um, so yeah, there could be room for Thomas, Fletcher, uh, or McCarthy. Like it might take a trade for one of them the, to really realize their potential. I like Thomas better in the long term. I think McCarthy's better than those numbers suggested for all the reasons you suggested. So uh yeah. Yeah, in that 68th round or whatever the heck that is, go ahead and go he's, to he's 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 definitely someone to like not forget about. I yeah. could totally see him being a useful fantasy outfielder next year. Ab absolutely, I could too. And I could see this final guy being a useful one, but I'm probably going to try to forget him. Starling Marte. Starling Marte was really mm. bad in 2023. Now, yes, it was injury related somewhat. His season ends in August, and he dealt with injuries pretty much throughout the year. But he hit just 248, 301, 324 slugging percentage with five homers and 24 stolen bases. Now, the stolen bases keep him relevant. Here's something I'll be concerned about, too, though, Drew. And look, you don't have to be super fleet of foot to be a stolen base guy. You can't be Vogelback or Ty France or something like that and steal bases. But, you know. You can definitely get away with it. And he's certainly somebody who has done a good job of reading pitchers. But his sprint speed, Drew, was all the way down to in the 40th percentile, in the, wow. excuse me, in the 44th percentile at 27.1, which is, again, he would absolutely crush me in a race. But we're talking about major league players. And we're also talking about a guy who makes his living with stolen bases. That's something that's pretty concerning to me. And he's already 35 years old. 
And what's really concerning to me here is that his approach, which has never exactly been Starling Marte's exact strong suit. He is not your prototypical draw a bunch of walks uh, leadoff guy. He only walked in 4.7% of his plate appearances, which is just awful. Swung at pitches outside the strike zone 37.4% of the time. Uh, only barreled the baseball 5.6% of the time. That's probably the biggest concern here, too, is that, you know, you were talking about uh, those combo meals with Starling Marte. There are not, were not a whole heck of a lot of them in the year of our Lord 2023 last year. And I do wonder, as a 35-year-old who has dealt with a ton of injuries, whether or not this is something that we might be looking at the current version of Starling Marte. I would expect him to be a little bit better, like, you know, just getting some fly balls to go over the fence, that type of thing. And again, if he can play in 120 games or so, this counting stats are going to be a whole heck of a lot better than they were in 86 games. Obvious point is obvious. But we talked about deteriorating skill sets. Starling Marte has a skill yeah. set that just ages awfully. So unless he's going to become... Uh, remember in Major League uh, Two when uh, Willie May Hayes decided to become a power hitter at the start of spring training? Uh -huh. unless, unless that's the new profile for Starling Marte and he's going to grip and rip. And guess what? A 324 slugging percentage suggests he is not that type of player. On the contrary, really. One of those things has to be a whole heck of a lot better for me to be intrigued by Starling Marte. On top of the fact that I just don't think the Mets are going to be very good next year. I don't think that this is going to be better than last year, certainly, but not good enough to suggest that, like, uh, you got to have Starling Marte because at the top of that lineup, he's going to be great. I don't necessarily think that's true, Drew. So, yeah, Starling Marte, I'm curious where he's going in drafts as well, just because, you know, he was so awful for most of that. He's got name recognition. so like, But that you know, name recognition, exactly. Um, I would pass on that. I would actually, of all the players that we just named, even though Starling Marte is very likely to go ahead of a lot of them, he'd be the one I'd be avoiding the most. Yeah, I mean, Father Time is is undefeated, and Indeed. he's 35 years old. The, the things that he does well, they just don't really last into your late 30s, unless you're Ricky Henderson or something. Um, yeah. And I don't think he's Ricky Henderson. And, and, I mean, if he was a free agent, like I think he might even like struggle to really find a a landing spot, but the Mets owe him $21 million in 2024 and another 21 million in 2025. So, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just not a, it's not a tenable situation is what it is. And I love the word tenable because it's uh, when I sometimes use right tenable and palpable, the two words I usually use, right. Um, that's going to do it for our show. Thanks so much for listening to our rambling, especially Drew's 20 minutes on Tim Anderson. You can look for the audio book to be published at some points. Uh, even though we don't love that website, you can follow us on it. I'm at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. You can follow Drew at Drew Silv. Please rate and like the show. We really appreciate the support. Uh, Ryan and I, sorry, Ryan, we'll be back with the uh, pitchers who disappointed in 2024. There's a heck of a lot more of those than there are pitchers based on my early looks. Really appreciate the support, and we will talk to you again next week.